You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Extraordinary men and women went before us with unmatched resilience, enduring hardship, when called upon to defend and liberate. They said, yes. They found courage to rise with every son, loyalty toward their country, discipline for every command. Even in the darkest hours, they said, yes. They cherished and fought for freedom, so those coming behind them were assured of it. And when the moment came for them to give it all, their futures never to be written, they said, yes. Today, we think upon their sacrifice and find our way to honor them, saying yes to making the most of what they gave us and filling the earth with God's goodness. We thank them for their yes. They will never be forgotten. Good morning, church family, and happy Memorial Day weekend. I hope that you are having a fabulous one. Most importantly, I hope that you are here with us this morning because you are ready to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to learn from his word. That's what we've been praying for you over this week and this weekend. And so uh, right now, let's just uh, worship together and sing together from right there in your home, wherever you are. Father 
Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. Oh, I
Father, thank you that when you say we are chosen by you, that we can trust you and believe you in that. When you say you are preparing a place for us, we can trust you and believe you in that. God, we praise you for your faithfulness this morning. God, continue to teach us from your word. I pray that you'll be honored and glorified in everything we do today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning, and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church, I guess online, virtually. Uh, this is, I'll be honest with you, this is a little weird, um, but as, as I've heard before, you should just imagine that people are in their underwear, and most likely that's probably the case. Most, <laughs> most people watching this are probably in their underwear right now, or maybe in their, their uh, pajamas. But today, um, I am very excited to bring God's Word for, for us today. And I truly believe that if I've got my Bible open here and you've got your Bible open there, that the Holy Spirit can move in both locations. I truly believe that. So let's, let's start by just opening up in a word of prayer and ask that God send His Holy Spirit to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You so much for this opportunity that uh, You've given me to, to speak on behalf of uh, what Your Word has to say. Uh, Lord, may I, may I not take that lightly. May I uh, present exactly what it, what it has to say and not, not insert my own bias. And Lord, may your, your Holy Spirit come to us now and, and not only give us understanding of the text, but an appreciation for that text. Lord, it's in your Son's name I pray. Amen. So as you can see, today we are going to be dealing with the idea of a reward worth living for a reward worth loving for, excuse me. And, and as I started thinking about this, and, and not just this, but thinking about the, the sermon series that we're going through, I, I began to think about this idea or the term family. And it's so interesting because I can say the term family and you connect with it. And it's, an, it's a unifying term. You, you and I both share that together. We, we both have a family. And, and uh, But on the other side of that, there is a uniqueness to that. When I say family, I, I think about my family. I think about me and Tori. I think about my parents. And, and when I say family, you begin to think about your own family. And so in that, it's different. And as I began to think about family in this term and, and really how it's unifying and distinct, I, I also began to think about it in a spiritual term and how uh, spiritually, we are all united in the family of God. We have, I, we have family over in Brazil. We have family in Ukraine. We have family in Africa. We are united in that way. And on the same, on the same front, it's very different. How we do church here and how they do church there and how we worship is, is very different. And to someone looking from the outside in, it's very, very different. If I was a fly on the wall inside of your, your household, there's probably some traditions, some celebrations, some, some jokes, and maybe some ways in which you pick on one another. That's different than the way that Tori and I would do so. And, and I'm sure that you would be uh, kind of weirded out if, if you saw, you know, me and Tori's lifestyle and, so, uh, and, and kind of just the way in which we pick on one another. 
there's a reason why you are not invited to my family reunion. It's, it's, it, it would weird you out. But and, and in the same light, uh, in the spiritual family of God, there are people who are outside who can peer in and may think that the way in which we worship and the things that we believe are weird. You mean to tell me that you believe that a guy who lived 2,000 years ago and, and said all these promises and made all these statements that you believe that believing in him will give you a paradise of a lifestyle after death? That's, I mean, that is far-fetched. And yet, we hold very dear to that. And, and, and so from the outside looking in, that's, that's very strange. And so the question is then, how should we treat those outside of the family of God? Interestingly enough, we are going to be dealing with that today. And so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to be going through this, uh, this uh, a section of the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very important part of Scripture. It's one of the five discourses that Matthew provides for us. And a discourse is just a lengthy conversation or instruction. And so Matthew records multiple ones, and, and, and in each one, Jesus is making a main point. And so as we study this today, we need to first understand what the main point of Jesus' sermon was. And so, so as we look at this, we're, we need to understand a term. Let's see if this will work. Oh. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. That's what you get when it's live, right? There we go. Okay, we, we, we have to deal with this term. So the term is an inclusio, I-N-C-L-U-S-I-O. It's a literary device that is used often in, in multiple places in Scripture that kind of acts like a sandwich. It looks like a pretty good sandwich there. And you've got on this sandwich, you've got bread on the top and bread on the bottom. Well, that would be a inclusio kind of the brackets on the, on the end of a, of a statement. For example, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, right at the beginning, from verses 2 through 7, we see this literary device. We see an inclusion. We see a sandwich. And, and we would understand the book of Proverbs to be a book of wisdom, liter wisdom literature. And so in the very beginning of the book, we see for gaining wisdom and instruction. Hopefully you can see that. But, but that is the beginning. That is that first piece of bread for gaining wisdom and instruction. And now on the, on the very end, down here in verse 7, we have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so in Proverbs, we see that sandwich. And we're going to see the same sandwich in Matthew chapter, three verses, or chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. Now, if you'll, if you'll go back and, and look at the beginning of chapter 5, you'll see the Beatitudes. And actually, Pastor Bob just preached on the Beatitudes not too long ago. And so if, uh, if you'd like to, you can go back and view that. But in the Beatitudes, we see Jesus repeating this, this, uh, this phrase, blessed are those who do this. And right at the beginning, we see this phrase, this beginning of the sandwich, the inclusio. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That would be that first piece of bread. And then we go down to verse 10 and we see, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so when we want to find out what the mindset that Jesus is trying to set for this sermon, we look at this literary device that Matthew has given us 
And clearly, Jesus is going to be talking on the kingdom of heaven. Your translation may say kingdom of God. And so the mindset of the message is kingdom. First and foremost, it is kingdom. However, it's twofold. Not only, not only is he going to be dealing with um, the kingdom, he's also going to be dealing with this, this, other, this other point. Excuse me. And we, see that, we, and we see this next point through actually looking at the text. We see this dichotomy between how we live now and what that will lead to. And so here we can see, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. The people who live by these virtues today, what will it be like for them in the future? And so we have these future tense, uh, these future tense phrases, for they will be, for they will be, for they will be, for they will be, for they will be. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, live by these virtues now, and later you will receive a reward. And we could see all of those rewards there, being comforted, inheriting the earth, be filled, be shown mercy, to see God, and to be, be called the children of God. And so what Jesus is doing is he's showing how you live now will affect your reward in the kingdom. And so that is the mindset of the message, and we must carry that throughout the entirety of, uh, of the sermon that Jesus gives, starting in, verse, or in chapter 5 and going all the way to chapter 7. That is the mindset of this sermon. And so, so let, let's go ahead and just read the section that we'll be looking at now that we have this mindset. It's in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43 and going to 48. You have heard it, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Excuse me. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so in, in this passage, I, I, just what made sense to me was to break it up into three different parts. Now, there's nothing special about the way in which I broke it up. I just, it helps me to think and to, and to follow the train of thought that Jesus is, is giving. And so in Matthew uh, chapter, we're going to break it up into three parts. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 by itself, and then Matthew 44 through 45, and then Matthew uh, 5 verse 46 through 48. And so that's kind of how we'll break it up. So kind of a one, two, three kind of thing. And so this first section is correcting our logical conclusion. Now that may sound strange to you. If it's logical, why not? Why do we need to correct it? If it, if it logically makes sense, why, why change it? And, and if you're analytically minded or, or, or type A minded, then, then this may sound like a strange thing. However, Jesus points out that, in fact, the people of this time were making a logical conclusion and there was no actual biblical basis for it. 
So he, he repeats this phrase, you have heard that it was said. And he, and he repeats this phrase over and over and over again throughout the entire sermon uh, or through this first part of the sermon when he's dealing with lust, when he's dealing with divorce, when he's dealing with oaths, when, he, when he's dealing with retaliation, uh, when he's dealing with anger. He, he starts out by saying this phrase, you have heard that it was said. And so what he's making a reference to is the people who have been saying these things. The people who have been teaching on lust and on oaths and on revenge and on anger. He's making a reference back to them. And we would recognize them as the, as the Pharisees, as the religious leaders. And I think a lot of times we jump on this, this bandwagon to just judge the Pharisees to think that, w- that we are better than them and that they were manipulating Scripture and, and using it poorly and, and really dictating their own agenda and, and so I, I'd like to just, first of all, take some, take some time to maybe humanize these, these Pharisees so that we can see that what they did, we are actually susceptible to the same thing. Now, first of all, I want you to hold your Bible in your hand and just, just look at it. You can thumb through it if you'd like to. Maybe you've got it on, on, uh, on your phone or something like that. But, but really observe what you've got in your hand. What you've got in your hand is actually, it's not what the Pharisees had. And so if the Pharisees wanted to go from Genesis to Esther to Numbers, they, they, they would have had to grab a scroll, roll it out, maybe put it back up, grab another scroll. The, the ability to, to access the different scriptures was, was not as easy as it is for us today. On top of that, what we have in our hand is the complete Word of God. They did not have the complete Word of God yet. And so they were going off of what they had, what they had received. And, and, so, and so we begin to see when we start to think about these Pharisees and, and kind of the, the jumps that they had to, get, had to go through, the fact that even they did not have Google to type in, hey, what does the Bible say about this? I, because of all of that, we can start to see, you know what, there was probably a good number of human errors that could, could make its way in. And so the same is true for us today. We have, we have human error, we have human bias, and so we need to make sure that we are, we are careful with that. Because what the Pharisees were doing was they were starting with an actual text. They weren't, they weren't making this up off the cuff. They actually started with an original text. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your sons, uh, against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so we see exactly that the Pharisees were saying, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, except they added, you shall hate your enemy. And just as we've seen, it's, it's, it, there is human error. There was human error there. Well, there's human error now. I began to think about how we sometimes have the possibility and the ability to grab some text, grab some Bible verses, put them together, maybe even throw in our own personal, personal opinion, personal uh, experience, and then manipulate the text to say what we want it to say. You know, I was even, th- I was even uh, listening to a podcast not too long ago, and, and the podcast was based on talking about how much the Bible influenced people's opinion during slavery. 
and how people would stand on Bible verses to promote slavery. And even now today, we have people standing on the Bible to promote LGBTQ+. And they're using the Bible to, and, and manipulating the Bible and starting with a text and drawing their own conclusion. We, we have the same thing happening with, with, uh, with legalism and liberalism. The Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and I've got my own personal experience, and that's why women shouldn't wear pants or pray in church. And we see that. On the other side, with, the, with liberalism, we see uh, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and I've got my own personal experience, and that's why I don't have to deal with my sin. And we use the Bible so often just to make it say what we want it to say, but you see, that's not how special revelation works. Special revelation is a term that is often used uh, in theological circles, and I, I want to see if I can explain it to you with a, with a couple dots, if that's, if that's possible. So here, let's pretend that I am revealing to you the mystery of the red dot. I know, pretty amazing, right? Now, I tell you what, I am, I'll let you study this red dot, and I'll let you look at this red dot, and I'll let you observe this red dot, and if I ask you, what do you think the next dot will be, could you tell me? I don't, I don't think so. But tell you what, I'll be generous. I'll reveal to you the next dot, uh, right next to the red dot. We have the revelation of the blue dot. <laughs> right? So we have the revelation of the red dot and the revelation of the blue dot. And now, now you have just been blessed with two dots. Now if you were to study and observe and, and look at these two dots, could you tell me what the next dot's going to be? I don't think so. So I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll be gracious, I'll, I'll reveal to you the next dot, and the next dot is, drumroll please, brrr, green. <laughs> so we have the revelation of the red dot, the blue dot, the green dot. That's, that's pretty good. Tell you what, I'll go ahead and I will reveal to you the next six dots, okay? And I'll even do it in a special way. No, I'm just kidding. But, so here we go, we got another red dot, another blue dot, another green dot, another red dot, another blue dot, another green dot. And so here we have the revelation of three red dots, the revelation of three blue dots, and the revelation of three green dots. Now, if you studied this, and you really observed what I'm doing here, and you maybe even you spent a long time doing so, you may be a little bit more confident now that you can guess what the next dot is. And maybe you've got a logical conclusion for what the next dot is. However, if, if, if I, however, it is up to me to reveal what the next dot is. So tell you what, if you're watching it online, you can type in what you think the next dot is. Uh, and and I, I'm going to go ahead and reveal it. So logically, I would say red. Logically, let's see. Ooh, the revelation of the yellow dot. And so that's how, that's how special revelation works. We, you, could, you could argue with me day in and day out that that should be read. And you can make a logical conclusion as to why that should be read. However, I'm the one revealing it. And so I have ultimate say as to what color that dot is. So it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what we think should happen. It matters what actually happens. 
Imagine your Bible is a series of dots. There are patterns in here. There are connections that can be made. But if it doesn't say it, if it doesn't say it, then we cannot say it for it. We know, we know what we know about God because He shared it with us. We can't paint a picture of a God that we want based on what is said here. We have to stick to what is in here. Not add to it, not subtract it, not stand on our own conclusions. We have to stand on exactly what it says. And the Pharisees struggled with that, and we can struggle with that today. And there's a, lot, there's a lot more that I could say towards that, but I don't, I don't want to lose the, uh, the flow of what Jesus has to say. I know, I know that there are uh, maybe many conversations that you and your family can have in, in your homes about what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say, and, and maybe even uh, times where we have manipulated what the Scripture says to do what we want to do. Um, I, there's a lot more to be said on that, and so I would encourage you uh, to take that conversation home and, and to really uh, search in your heart to see am, are there areas in my life where, where I am taking Scripture, what has been revealed to me, and drawing my own conclusions. And so, and so that, that's something for you to do. But for, for us right now, I think, I think we need to continue and follow the, the, the thought that Jesus is giving here. And so he says, you have heard it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now Jesus steps in and in chapter 5, verse 44 through 45, and he's, he's recognizing, he, he wants us to recognize our positional distinction. So if you look down at your, your text, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I'll stop right there. You know, um, I think when we read these two, when we read these two verses, we, we often um, highlight one side over the other. So, for example, Jesus, Jesus goes from saying uh, that you should, not hate, you should not hate your enemies. Instead, you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, that is Jesus' command, adding to what is said in Leviticus about loving your neighbor. And so he's not, he's not disregarding that. We're keeping that. And so he, he says to love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think it's easy for us to just go out and lead with love and think, you know what, no matter what, no matter what happens, I just need to love on people. I just need to love on people. No matter what's wrong, what, what, I, what I need to address with them, I just need to love on them. And I think, I think that's often sometimes a mentality that, that, we can, uh, that we can gravitate to. However, we need to also focus in on the attention that Jesus gives to, to God in this, this portion. In verse, in verse 45, he, he draws our attention back to God who is the supreme love example of the universe. He draws our attention to how God loves so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Your translation may say uh, righteous and unrighteous. 
But do you see what he's doing here? He's pointing our eyes to how God views the world. God loves the world, and we know that from many scriptures that indicate that. God loves the world, but in his love to the world and how he demonstrates love, he is also looking down and observing that there are two distinct groups. Those who are evil, those who are good. Those who are just, those who are unjust. Those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. Those who live by the virtues placed in this, in this book and those who do not. And so, and so as we love, we must also... It, it's subtle, but uh, it, it makes a big impact. It, it basically says that uh, a Bible college is going to have Christians who are enrolled there whereas a Christian university says that the faculty must be uh, professing Christians. And so, uh, and so with this change led to uh, many non-believers coming into the, into the school. And uh, they, at this time, also had a, a campus pastor who, who called a group of, of, of people together who he viewed as being Christian and, and living by Christian morals. And, and he, uh, he set us all down. And, and said that he uh, wanted to, uh, to lead with love. He started his meeting by saying, he said, how great is it that, that as we are preparing for ministry, God has brought the ministry to us. And he, and he pushed that. And as I sat there, I began to notice that there were a lot of uh, freshmen sitting around with me, people who had come into the, the school and maybe not had, they did not have a, a firm foundation into what they believed. And... And I went to him afterwards and I said, uh, I, said I, I have some concerns about this, this promoting to, to just simply lead with love haphazardly because there are, there are people here who have not developed their, their faith deeply and, and I, I fear that this may lead them astray. And though, and though he took the time to, to hear me out, um, it didn't change the, the way in which he communicated to, to, these, to these freshmen. And I, and I watched these freshmen as they began to interact and, and spend time with these, these people who were not professing Christians. And, and I watched as they would spend time uh, in rooms, uh, in, in other dorm rooms, and, and I would hear stories of how um, drugs were being passed around and, and no one was speaking up. I, I would hear stories where, where these, these freshmen were going out uh, to nightclubs and to, to bars and, and drinking underage. And it, it got to the point where I would view these, these, these professing Christians who came in uh, and, and really uh, had a desire to follow God, but I, I, I noticed that they started to blur the lines between what they believed and what they were able to accept. And so these freshmen forgot their positional distinction. That in the eyes of God, they should have been living as righteous. They should have been living as the just. And they forgot that. And so, as I was studying this, I began to think about uh, how we have a group of, a group of uh, seniors who are graduating, and we're going to celebrate them next week. And, and, and my heart goes out to them for, for stepping into um, to these colleges, college campuses and and, and really having to face the decision that they will have to make on a daily basis to, to stand and to, to live 
as God would see them live. And so, so if you're watching this, if you're, uh, if you're a senior graduating this, this, uh, this year, that's my encouragement to you and, and really just a, a warning as well just to, uh, just to remember your personal, your positional distinction. But that's not, that's not just only for the, the ones graduating and going off to college today. That's for, that's for us today. See, what it means to be a Christian is that you, you make a decision that Jesus Christ is better than anything else in this world. And you don't just make that decision one time and then it's done. It's a decision that is lived out every single day. I, if I say today that Jesus Christ is better than anything else in the world and tomorrow something else comes up that I didn't think about, I have to make the decision that Jesus Christ is better than whatever that is. Now, I'm not saying you have to get saved over and over and over again. I'm saying that Jesus Christ has called us to follow Him. And following doesn't just mean the starting line. Following means day after day after day staying on the course and following Christ. So that when, when God looks down in love to the entire world that He sees something different. He sees a distinct and a, 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 a positional distinction. And so Jesus Christ, as he's preaching this message, he's not highlighting we need to just go and, and, and love and, and, and no matter what, just love, no matter how much that causes you to be more like the world, just love. And he's not just highlighting we need to be distinct, we need to be distinct. He's putting these on an even playing field. That as we love, we remain to stay distinct. We remain to stay separate from the world. And so that, that is what Jesus is getting to. He's starting out with this, this logical conclusion that he's having to correct, and he's saying, don't think about it this way. Think about it this way. That we need to love others, yet remain distinct. And so as we follow this, as we follow this thought, it... it if you were in the audience that day or, or now even being in the audience today and, and, and looking, at what we're, looking at the scripture that we're looking at, uh, you may begin to ask the question, why? Ask the question, why? Why should we love this way? Why should we remain distinct and yet love those who are unlike us? Why should we love those who are outside of the family of God. Now, I, I've actually asked this question to multiple people. Why, why, do you, um, why do you think it's important for a Christian to love? And, and I've gotten a few responses, one of which is um, uh, an evangelical, uh, evangelizing type, uh, type reason. We need to love others so that they see us and then maybe they, they become Christians. And, and I think there's, there's biblical reference for that. Uh, they, will, they will know we are Christians by our love. And so uh, it, it points back to, to God. Now, on, on the other, uh, another response that I've gotten is that, uh, that we, we, should, we should love others so that they see God in us. So that we, they see God in us. And so... Um, and so in both of, the, both of those are, are biblical ideas, that they see God in us and that maybe they, 
uh, choose to follow Christ. However, in this text, Jesus actually, uh, Jesus actually points to another reason why we should love in the way that he is indicating. Why we should love others and remain distinct. And so that reason is in verse, verses 46 through 48. And so, and, and so just to give you an idea before we read it, just to, to kind of maybe uh, get you to think, think about some stuff, um, Jesus is going to give a, a series of rhetorical questions. And in here, he's going to give the answer as to why we should love the way he's instructing. So see if you can, see if you can point it out. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Did you notice? Did you notice the reason why Jesus gives the reason to love the way in which he show, he's in, instructing us to love? It's, it's actually in the first question. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you see why it's important to, to understand that inclusio at the very beginning? How Jesus is he's drawing our attention to the kingdom. He's drawing our attention to the reward in the kingdom. And so here we see, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have in the kingdom? He's drawing our attention back to the reward in which we receive. And so the reason why we should love the way in which Jesus is instructing us to love, the reason why we should love in the way that God loves is because of our reward, our future reward. As the Beatitudes point to, as this entire sermon points to, our reward in heaven. So you may be thinking, Isaiah, well, isn't that selfish? Isn't that a pretty selfish way to be thinking about love? Like, na-na-na-boo-boo, I'm going to love you just because I get something. You know, I mean, isn't that a way to, to think about it? And wouldn't, wouldn't the world call that selfish? I think that is one way to look at it. I don't think it's the right way to look at it. I, I think the right way in which we should view this reward is, is not that it's... It's a selfish thing. Let me, let me try to put it in, in, uh, in terms for today. If, if someone came up to you, maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Someone came up to you and said, hey, look, I've got this house that I want you, that I want you to buy. I don't have any pictures of it. You can't go visit it. You can't see what's wrong with it or what's right with it. You just have to take my word and tell you what, Give me your life savings, and you can have this house. It's a deal. It's a, it's, it's, it's a deal. And tell you what, I won't tell you when you can move in either. If I, if I came up to you or if someone came up to you with that, with that deal, would you take it? I, I don't know if I would. I mean, maybe you're more risky than I am. But uh, that, that sounds like a pretty scary deal. And yet, we are basing 
our entire eternity. We are basing how we live now based on a promise from a guy 2,000 years ago that we never met that has, that has yet to happen. I don't call that selfish. I call that faith. And that is, that is a hard thing to keep in your mind. It's a hard thing to keep in my mind. When somebody cuts me off in, in, on, the, on the highway, I don't think about the kingdom and my reward. But I have to train my mind to think that way. I have to train my mind to say, you know what, Jesus was telling the truth. And I believe it. You know, when, when, when the government says I have to wear a mask or, or, has to, or, or keeps changing their rules, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to think about the reward in the kingdom. That's not, that's not the first thing where my mind goes to. But it needs to be. And so it's a daily, it's a daily grind to, to make sure that our minds continue to think on the promise that Jesus Christ has given us. It doesn't come naturally. It takes effort. And yet it's something we have to do. And that's what, that's what being a Christian, that's what loving those outside of the family of God, and I would even include inside the family of God, that is what it's all about. I'd like to close in the same way that Jesus does, because it's, it's beautiful. So you know how at the beginning when he was talking about the Pharisees and how they, uh, they used a scripture to, uh, and, and manipulated that scripture? Well, Jesus goes back to the very same chapter that these Pharisees started with. Almost as if he's, he's saying, here's, here's a correct way. Let's draw our attention back to, to what God is really like. And so I'll just read it to you. It's in Leviticus 19. Remember that where the Pharisees were getting it was from Leviticus 19.18. This is in Levit Leviticus 19.2. It says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so here in Matthew, this is what Jesus says. He says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We put our eyes on God. We put our eyes on the kingdom. We put our eyes on our reward. We do it when it's easy. We do it when it's hard. We do it when people are hard to love. And we don't do it for today. God has, Jesus has not promised that we will see reward today. Though we may, receive blessing in this life. Jesus' promise is for a future day. And so we look and we, we see that God is perfect and, and we live as children of God today and we, and we search and we seek to be perfect in this life which will lead to our complete perfection in heaven. And we have to hold on to that. We have to trust Jesus that he was telling us the truth. I believe he was. That's, 
That's why I am where I am today. And, and I, would, I would be safe to assume that that's why you are all here today. Because you believe that Jesus was telling the truth. And so, just a simple recap. Jesus is telling us not to hate our enemies. Jesus is instead saying that we need to love our neighbors, our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, and to have an, a, a proper perspective of where we are in the eyes of God. And in doing so, continue to administer love and to show fatherly affection. And let me just tell you, it is a reward worth loving for. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity to uh, share your word. God, I, I, I do hope that it was beneficial in, in some way and, and maybe uh, spoke, to, spoke to this congregation. Lord, I know that it spoke to me. Lord, I hope that, that as, I, as I go out today, that I lead with love, not as, not, as, uh, not as I would like to do so, but Lord, as you, view, as you view people and you see them as, as righteous and unrighteous, Lord, maybe, may I love everyone yet remain distinct. And may I do so with my eyes on a reward. Lord, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.
about the reopening of our campus. Um, we're really excited about this possibility. And um, so we are going to attempt to care as best we can, both for the body of Christ at, at Ebenezer, but also for our community. So we're gonna try and be as healthy as we can in this process. Um, so we're gonna try and do what Pastor Isaiah shared just a couple of minutes ago about loving those both inside the body and outside the body. So this is, this is some direction for us. Um, if you are ill or showing signs of being ill or in one of those at-risk groups, uh, we want you to consider just staying home and worshiping with us online like we've been doing. Um, otherwise, we'd love for you to be here. We're gonna strongly encourage that you wear masks. We're gonna ask that you would sit with your family. And then we're gonna also ask that you would keep physical distance distancing as a as a family unit as a congregation uh, so our worship services next week will be at nine o'clock in the morning and they'll be at 11 o'clock in the morning and we will clean in between and we're going to use two venues we're going to use the sanctuary and we're going to use our family life center and so there are specifics about this on our website so you can go there, find the, the list of all the things that we're doing, both in between services and pre-service, so you can get a feel for what this campus will look like next Sunday. And then if there are some questions, and, and whether you have questions or not, you may wanna sit in on this, but we're gonna have a congregational family meeting Tuesday night by Zoom at seven o'clock. And so the invitation for that is on our website. I encourage you to go there and um, find that invitation and then join us seven o'clock Tuesday and we'll discuss everything that we've talked about in getting ready for next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us at Ebenezer this morning online. Look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.